We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. This November is Senate race in Missouri between incumbent Democrat Claire McCaskill and Republican Attorney General Josh Hawley is one of the most closely watched in the country. It is certainly being watched by President Trump, and he may be the one who influences the outcome most. Joining me in studio to talk about that influence is St. Louis Public Radio political reporter Jason Rosenbaum. Jason, as always, a pleasure. Thanks for having me. In your reporting, you seem to have come to the conclusion that regardless of who wins this race, Mr. Trump is going to probably be the decider. I I would think so. I was asked by numerous national media outlets during the Greitens fiasco about the effect of Greitens on the Missouri Senate race. I had to be asked that question at least 10 or 15 times. And I kept saying, I think the national environment is going to play a bigger role. Because if you look back at Missouri Senate races, with at least one notable exception, they often tracked with how the quote-unquote national environment was going throughout the country. So, for example, in 2006, when Claire McCaskill won for the first time, the, the standing of the Republican Party was probably the lowest it's been in my lifetime. The Iraq War was was spiraling out of control. There were scandals in Congress. And that national environment clearly helped Claire McCaskill defeat Jim Talent, for, who was, for all intents and purposes, a very, very tough candidate. And then when you looked at Republican wave elections in 2010, in 2016, and also in 2002, the Republicans won when Republicans won elsewhere. So it stands to reason that since Trump is such a dominating force in American politics right now, that he's going to play a major role. In Missouri's case, It's not really clear whether it would be a positive or negative role, because in 2016, Trump won the state by historic margins and still is clearly popular in some key parts of the state. But his policies and his leadership style have clearly alienated and energized Democrats in parts of the state that that McCaskill needs to win. So at this point, it may end up being a wash, but it's a little bit too early to tell. From what I've been reading, the uh, Trump approval rating in Missouri is just about 50 percent, which is below what it was, a little above his uh, his national standing, however. Yeah. So that would indicate that it's just about even Stephen. It, it, yeah. And those are most opinion polls. There was an opinion poll that came out from NBC, I think, last week that showed his approval ratings were below 50 percent. But every other public opinion poll that's been taken have all been around 50 percent, which is higher than the national average. And if if that's the case, um, you ha- it stands to reason that the reason it's above 50 percent is because he still has high approval ratings in the places he did well. And that includes rural Missouri. Mm-hmm. And that also includes competitive swing, socially conservative suburbs like Lincoln County, St. Charles County, Jefferson County. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about how the suburbs are going to affect the 2018 yeah. election cycle and maybe a thought that Trump's policies may uh, drive more suburban voters to the Democratic column. That analysis, though, doesn't really take into effect how conservative suburbs, where people generally elect candidates that oppose abortion rights, oppose gun control, and the voters there also voted for people like Trump, 
how how they're going to vote because yeah. they're a huge factor in statewide elections. You know, you talk about the national political environment in, uh, in past years and in past election cycles. Uh, and it was easy to see what uh, what that environment was at those particular times, at least relatively easy. It's very difficult to do that. Now, what is the national political environment? It just seems like it's a very f- confused, almost chaotic situation. It is confusing because on the one hand, the economy right now is doing significantly better than, say, 2008 when it was a Democratic year because there was a Republican president and the economy was spiraling into a historic recession. Um, but on the other hand, President Trump has engaged in policies that are becoming unpopular in certain quarters, whether it be his immigration policies, whether it be his policies toward health care, whether it be his tariffs, which are probably not super popular in rural Missouri. And there's also this continuing gloaming involving Robert Mueller's investigation that could reveal more embarrassing revelations about the campaign or Trump's personal life. And, and I mean, just last week, there were there are two instances, both with Bob Woodward's, Bob Woodward's, Woodward's book, as well as that anonymous New York Times op-ed that mm-hmm. questioned his stability and his leadership style. All those things may have an, a cumulative effect on voter behavior. But it's unclear, though, whether that's going to be enough to convince people that voted for Trump in 2016 to change course, especially especially those voters who are intensely passionate about him. Nonetheless, Republican Josh Hawley has clearly hitched his wagon to the Trump star for better or for worse. Absolutely. Um, I think going back to when he kicked off his campaign in March, he made it clear that he was going to hitch his his fate to President mm-hmm. Trump. I think he made a conscious decision looking at the the voter patterns in 2016 that being kind of a wishy-washy you know, criticize Trump on some things and and praise him on other things was not really going to work in Missouri. Um, And I think that he's clearly thinking that Trump's popularity is an asset to him, Mm -hmm. which is why he is appearing with him in public. It's why the president has done some fundraisers for him. So it it, it could be beneficial to him if his popularity endures until November. Mm -hmm. If it takes a downward slide in Missouri over the next two months, you may be seeing a lot of ads that derisively tie Josh Hawley to Trump, similar to how you're seeing, like, you know, Peter Roskam in Illinois being tied to, mm. to Trump in a place where Trump is clearly not popular. And we should point out that the president is coming back to Missouri in the not-too-distant future to campaign for Mr. Hawley. In Cape Girardeau, the same mm-hmm. arena where the epic feud between Rick Rude and Jake the Snake Roberts started in the 1980s. Okay. I bet you wanted to know that time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little piece of political, political trivia that uh, I'm really not familiar with. No. Let's, uh, let's talk about Claire McCaskill. She also is walking a fine line. Because of this rural, urban-rural divide here, she's got to be very careful about how she treats Mr. Trump. I, I think if you've listened to Claire McCaskill's stump speeches or have talked with her at length, as both myself and Joe Manis have done over the last few months, there are clearly issues that she's really focusing on that she disagrees with Trump on. That includes the tariffs. That includes health care. And that also includes some individual aspects of of his temperament and leadership style. But it's mainly issue-based. You see in other competitive races where – in competitive states where Trump isn't as popular – where the entire Trump presidency is being fiercely challenged by Democrats on the ballot. 
I think that if you talk with Claire McCaskill directly, she says she wants to be a check on the president rather than a yes man. Mm -hmm. And has oftentimes pointed out instances where she agrees with the president, especially when it comes to some of his national security personnel. So it is a tightrope, tightrope, because I don't think that she can be like J.B. Pritzker is in Illinois. I, I keep I keep coming back to the Illinois-Missouri comparison, mm-hmm. but it's a clear difference of the way Democratic politicians there are treating Trump as like public enemy number one, whereas in Missouri, they're treating some of his policies as as extremely problematic and not just focusing on Trump the person. Because doing that risks getting some Trump crossover voters and alienating them. And we should also point out she's being very, very careful on the subject of impeachment. I think the Democrats are they're trying to get themselves in a lockstep to not talk so much about that. She said in a conference call, she says it's not appropriate to talk about that until the Mueller investigation is complete. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go back to uh, to the issue of, of the economic issue here in the state and the rural voters. You mentioned the tariffs, and uh, that is, is clear. I'm thinking of those soybean farmers. Oh, yeah. Uh, because they're getting clobbered by this, uh, this tariff situation, and there are a lot of them in Missouri. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting to see how a lot of major agricultural groups are still endorsing Holly, even though Holly has said he supports what the president is trying to do on tariffs. Yet they're also raising a lot of alarm about the retaliation that's come with these tariffs, which have clearly affected the price of, of soybeans and other commodities. So it, it really remains to be seen whether those groups' endorsements are, are kind of lessened a little bit because individual farmers are unhappy with the Trump policies. Yeah. We have uh, Marshall Griffins joining us now. He's, of course, our, our man in Jefferson City. This, uh, this day was a, a day of special legislative session in Jefferson City. Uh, stay with me, Jason, if you would. We'll talk to Marshall a little bit and then come back. Marshall, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Good to be on. I understand it's, uh, the, the day's already over, in a sense, for you. It, it is. Um, we weren't really expecting much to happen um, at the Capitol today, but um, um, but we do know what's going to be going on pretty much this week already. Uh, the, the whole purpose of the special session primarily was to deal with uh, two bills that got vetoed. Um, one had to do with uh, promoting um, STEM education, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. The other um, was a uh, one to expand the use of treatment courts in Missouri. The reason those two bills were vetoed, um, the one, the um, the treatment course bill was vetoed because Parsons said it contained um, extra things on it that um, could be found um, in violation of the Constitution's single subject clause. There was um, language added regarding up, cleaning up abandoned property and also uh, retirement for judges. Um, the The title of the bill was changed uh, to accommodate that, but uh, the, but the governor didn't think that was uh, still going to be good enough to meet the definition. So uh, he vetoed that bill. He also vetoed the STEM bill because it said it's, uh, the language in that bill appeared to favor one particular vendor, which he didn't name. This so, is really kind, kind of housekeeping is what we're talking about, isn't it? Say that again? This is really kind of like housekeeping, uh, just kind of modifying these uh, these pieces of legislation? Yeah, and you know, it, it's a, and this is a little different than what the normal procedure would be, and that would be holding a veto session to decide whether to override the governor's vetoes, which was, you know, you know, common practice when it was uh, former Governor Jay Nixon at office uh, facing a, um, you know, huge supermajorities and um, not so much with Greitens last year, but um, 
But this year, instead of just trying to override the vetoes, uh, Parson uh, met with lawmakers, and they decided to call a special session to actually pass alternate versions of, of uh, these two bills this week. So uh, that's a little bit of a different approach. So it, it, it might it will probably uh, make Wednesday's veto session null and void, although there is one other item that uh, got vetoed that really hasn't been talked much about, and something I may have, should have mentioned in my report this morning, but in uh, that Now's was, your chance. Yeah, it, it was the uh, t- uh, dealing with a statue that's in uh, Washington, D.C., in the U.S. Capitol, and that was uh, to replace the current statue of Thomas Hart Benton with the statue of Harry Truman. Uh, that got vetoed, and uh, the, the reason for that, for the governor's veto on there, had more to do with, um, I think, some technical language, I believe. I'll have to look more into that. It wasn't because he favored Champ Clark being in the in the rotation. Uh, yeah, I don't think that had anything to do. With I, I favor that, by the way. You're, you're doing the trivia thing today, aren't you, Jason? What do you say? You're doing the trivia thing today, aren't you? I am the trivia thing. Uh, some line item veto issues, uh, uh, Marshall. Uh, there are some. Uh, it remains at this point. There doesn't seem to be um, any groundswell of. Um, of united opposition to those vetoes, uh, there might be. Uh, I mean, there will probably be some motions filed just for the sake of filing motions to override them. But I don't expect any of those uh, vetoes would be will uh, be overridden. They'll but probably just wait until January to deal with um, to deal with those. I get both you and Jason in on this. Uh, yesterday was um, the governor's 100th day in office. Uh, any observations you have on those first uh, 100 days? Uh, I will say this: uh, the the capital seems to have quieted down tremendously um, since uh, Mike Parson came, became governor. Um, there's you know we, there's still the occasional um, you know legal flare up that happens as, when it regards to you know any court cases or pending you know court hearings regarding. Uh, former governor former governor Greitens or in New Missouri or something along those lines, but um, there. There seems to be a, a very good relationship uh, with uh, between Governor Parson and the the Republican members of the legislature, and even many of the Democrats in the legislature. That doesn't mean everything's perfect. Obviously, uh, there's there's uh, some Democrats who have basically said, "Well, let's not forget that, uh, that Parson stands for everything that um, that we oppose and that uh, we, that that we feel is uh, harmful to Missouri." So, but. But uh, it's 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 a lot smoother sailing than it was at this point. Jason, what a difference 100 days makes. It, it does, and people in the Missouri Capitol clearly like Governor Parson better than they did Governor Greitens, but that's a pretty low bar, to, to be candid. I'll be more interested to see how Parson performs when he has to present a, a large-scale legislative agenda or he runs into difficulties in managing some of the departments are department heads that he has inherited from the previous administration. I think right now, uh, first of all, from looking at Twitter, he's having the time of his life being governor and traveling around the state as governor. Um, and that it's a good thing. It, it's, it's certainly a, a difference to see, you know, a governor turning on a, a water pump to help uh, help with a drought as opposed to repelling from a, a, the top of a stadium like the previous governor. But I, I, I also think that just as the legislature has better relations with, with Parson, I do think it's worthy to note that uh, there's been a lot of opening of press go- governor relations, which were 
frozen certainly during the Greitens scandal, but were very tense when Greitens was in office. We'll see how long that lasts when he gets into some controversy or makes a controversial decision. Um, it may change, but as of now, it's definitely a new tone. Uh, Marshall, the uh, legislators are in election mode, pre-election mode right now. Uh, as Jason and I have been talking before you joined us, uh, do you think uh, a lot of them are looking for help from our president? Um, I would say so, yes. Um, we've, you know, there's, I don't know how much help um, they'll get, although I, I would imagine anyone running for office in southeast Missouri or running for the legislature in southeast Missouri might uh, be hoping that uh, President Trump uh, puts in a good word for them uh, uh, during uh, his visit. I believe that is sometime this week, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, so, there, so there's that. Um, and obviously, uh, Josh Hawley uh, would love a boost from uh, Trump as well. What do you think, Jason, the impact on other Republicans in the state? This could be kind of another mixed situation. You could see if if the prediction of Trump being poisoned in the suburbs comes to fruition, then you may see districts which were previously kind of safe Republican districts, especially in like West and Central St. Louis County, become more competitive. The Democrats have already captured a lot of like inward St. Louis County districts in Webster Groves and Kirkwood. So they're not really in play this cycle. Um, but it kind of goes again the other way. There, there may be some potentially competitive seats in Jefferson County. There's at least a couple that Democrats hold right now, which could hypothetically be flipped to the Republican side if Trump is still popular there. So I, I would think, though, that this, this may be the year that Republicans maybe lose a couple of seats, at least in the House, but probably not enough for it to matter very much. Do you see any sort of insurgent politicians out there, and maybe that's the wrong word to use, but people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the state of Missouri who might have an impact someplace? Um, it remains <clears throat> to be seen, but it should be noted that Ocasio-Cortez came in to help Cori Bush, and Lacey Clay responded by winning by 20 percentage points and in turn electing a lot of his allies to the Missouri legislature. So I'm not really sure her in particular is really a force for change, but there may be some examples, depending on what happens in November, uh, locally. Certainly, Wesley Bell's victory is, is a big force for change in St. Louis County, as well as Lisa Clancy's victory on the county council. I would say that those are more uh, apt examples. Marsha, are you seeing or hearing anything along those lines where you are? Uh, not not so much, but I, I will say this. Um, the the effect, the effect of uh, Cortez's um, coattails might we might take a couple of years to see how well once once she serves in Congress a, a couple of years as to whether or not she might develop stronger coattails in the future. Uh, another question for you, Jason, as our time begins to wind down. What about the, the energy among voters and young voters in particular? What are we uh, sensing a, along those lines? Well, when you look at St. Louis area in particular, St. Louis and St. Louis County, which are two places that Claire McCaskill needs big turnout in, I do think you've seen instances where younger voters have come out for marches and they're becoming more assertive about you know, the need for gun control or their opposition to Trump. It'll be interesting to see if that energy helps someone like Court Van Ostrin in the 2nd Congressional District. It's a, tough, it's a tough district for Democrats to win, 
But if there's high turnout in the Democratic areas of that district, it could be much closer than usual. Well, you two gentlemen, stay with me for another minute or two, if you would. I've got something else for you here. Before we leave, we want to draw your attention to a bit of audio that went viral last week. During a House Energy and Commerce Committee hearing, a protester interrupted the testimony of Twitter CEO and St. Louis native Jack Dorsey. Not soon after, Missouri Representative Billy Long stepped into action. What's she saying? I can't understand her. What? What's she? Have it in. Twelve and a half. Fifteen. Seven and a half. Twenty-eight dollars. Two and a half. Five and seven and a half. Thirty. Get four and a half. Four seventy-five. Five hundred five. Five and a quarter. Five and a half. I yield back. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow I think our auctioneer and resident's going to get tweeted about today. And that was Missouri Representative Billy Long using his auctioneering skills to drown out a protester on Capitol Hill last week. We are uncertain as to whether this tactic has been used before to cover other protests. Jason, what do you think of Mr. Long? Um, It just makes me wonder, had that 2010 GOP primary gone another way, whether noted Chicago Bears fan Gary Nodler would have interrupted a protester with uh, auctioneering stuff, but... It certainly was entertaining, and he did get tweeted a lot by both parties. Jason, a final thought? Uh, Jason, Marshall, a final thought from you on that? Um, well, I, I, I will say it. I believe the, uh, it seemed like the audio piece was much longer um, the first time I heard it uh, a few days ago. Um, he actually was uh, actually tried to uh, bid a price on, um, on, on something that she was holding in her hand yeah. at the time. Cell so. phone. The cell phone, yeah. All righty. We've got to end it there. I want to thank you, Marshall Griffin, for being with us, and also Jason Rosenbaum. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Podcast episodes of St. Louis on the Air are available at stlpublicradio.org, or you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, the new Google Podcast app, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.